Hey guys, welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. It's Liz Kelly, the co-host of Tea Time. Your favorite celebrity and pop culture podcasts have moved out of Channel 33 and into their very own feed called Ringer Dish. On Ringer Dish, you can still listen to Jam Session on Wednesdays and Tea Time on Fridays, and we'll be launching a brand new show that'll publish every Monday. Episodes so far have included a heated debate on which celebrity Chris reigns supreme and a social media deep dive on the Big Little Lies cast. So to hear more about the royal family and our current celebrity obsessions, subscribe to Ringer Dish on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to the LA Laptops and Black on the Air. Thanks, Jim. Thank, Thank you, Larry. Here. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate you being here. It's awesome. We have such a great conversation. Can you guys hear us okay? Terrific. Yeah. Oh, great. Excellent. Uh, Jim, your book, uh, The Enemy of the People, such an ironic title. It really is. Yeah. Like a Greek tragedy. It's like a say. Greek tragedy. You know, uh, Oedipus was what I was going to go for. Oh, but, man. Uh, we could only hope Once again, I'm not touching that. that joke, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> um, and so, uh, why would you write this? This is happening okay. to us in real time. Right. You decided to put it down on paper. Yeah, right. I did, and I, I you know, um, I was explaining that you know, folks would tell me to write a book, and so yes. right, I'll write a book. But no, the the more serious side of this, and and not to get too serious right from the get go, is mm-hmm. that I strongly believe, and I think I'm staying in my lane as a straight news reporter, in saying that the president of the United States should not refer to press, should not refer to reporters as the enemy of the people, and it's as simple as that. Um, yep. So in a way, three simple rules. Yeah. So in a way, I, I, I kind of looked at this as reclaiming that expression. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, my my sense of it is, is that if it's if it's OK for the president to refer to us as the enemy of the people, who's next? What yeah. part of American society does he refer to as the enemy of the people next? And I don't think we want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I uh, feel very strongly about what I do as a reporter every day. I think my job is to, you know, give people the news. That's basically it. Yeah. Uh, but these days, when the president of the United States, uh, it was recently found by the Washington Post, has uh, uttered 10,000, roughly 10,000 false or misleading statements. That's we, all? We, that, well, yeah, um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a lot, you know. Yeah. And um, it may seem higher. Maybe the number's a little higher, I guess, by some estimates. But it's put us in a position where we're Mm fact-checkers in real time. And that gets under the president's skin. It it upsets his uh, team and his supporters. But, you know, my sense of it is is that we can't let that get in the way of the job that we have to do. And so I really want to give folks a sense of what we do on a daily basis, what we've been through, and hope at the end of the day that folks have a better appreciation for what I think is a very vital part of American society and our democracy. Completely. And reading the book, it's funny because it takes you back and you remember how not just something happens every day. It's almost like something happens every hour in this. That's true. <laughs> in this saga that we've been watching, and yeah. and you started. Um, when did you start following the uh, Trump campaign? Uh, this was in January of uh, 2016. So as okay, soon as Barack so- Obama gave his last State of the Union address, I walked out of the gates of the oh, White right. House, and I did not go back to the White House until after Donald Trump became president, after he was elected president. Right. So that was that was still uh, that was after Iowa. Was that it? was right before the Iowa caucus. Right before. Yeah. Okay. So what was your feeling then when you first got um, close to Trump? Did you have 
a sense of him then that changed right away or that stayed the same for a while? Or did you have an immediate sense of him at that time? Well, I remember, you know, it's interesting that you want to you want to start there because I remember following him around at some of the you know normal stops that uh, reporters would go to with candidates. And there was uh-huh. a, a pizza place, as I recall, in Iowa that he stopped in. And his his security team was awfully confrontational with mm-hmm. us. And it seemed to be almost a tone set from the beginning from my standpoint that, wow, these guys are a little more rough than other, you know, candidates and other, you know, candidates and their teams that I've covered in the past. But the the thing that was interesting about Donald Trump from the get-go is that he loved the coverage. Mm-hmm. And as I write in the book, he loves the coverage, but he hates the scrutiny. And so, you yeah. know, he would take our questions at press conferences. He would do these little occasional one-on-ones with us out on the campaign trail. But once you started poking in areas he didn't like— right that's when he would lash out at us. And, you know, what my sense of it is, is that, you know, things have obviously escalated over time. During the campaign, he would call us the dishonest news media, the disgusting news media, Mm -hmm. and so on. And then he rolled that act into the Oval Office and it turned into fake news and the enemy of the people. And he hasn't really turned back since then. What was the, what do you think was the turning point for you in your observation of Trump early on? What was the point where you, because there was a point where people weren't taking him seriously. Right. They thought, you know, come on, seriously, Trump, you know, this is not yeah. going to work. But then it slowly started to change. When for you as a journalist, you said, you know, we need to really pay attention to this. Well, it, it, it really happened, Larry, before I even got out there on the campaign mm-hmm. trail. When Donald Trump announced his campaign for the presidency and referred to Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals. That's how he launched it. Uh, that's how he launched right. the campaign. I said, you know what, this is something we've never seen before in American politics. And then, you know, later on that year, he called for a, a ban on Muslims coming into sure. the United States. And if you look at the polls at that time, he was leading the Republican field. And, you know, it basically stayed this way. Mm -hmm. This dynamic stayed in this in the same kind of place right up until he clinched the nomination. And my sense of it was during that time, even in the early days of his campaign, that we were dealing with this sort of nationalist movement that we'd never really seen before. I remember going to Trump rallies and he would make fun of Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the party's previous nominee. And he's making fun of this guy. And in his own party, in his own right. party, and the crowd is going wild. They're loving it. Uh, he would go off on the Bush family, and and Donald Trump right. crowds would go wild. And what, I, what, no, I, I never seen anything like that before. What, that has so like puzzled me. Yeah. That his crowds, Republican crowds, but I, I don't even know if we can call them Republican crowds. I think his base has their own identity. It seems yeah. like it's a Trumpist party. Yes, yeah. I have, I can't imagine people cheering at that type of. You know, rhetoric and volatility and hostility about yeah. their own party. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I write about this in the book. And, and Mitt Romney at one point uh, was so concerned about it. He gave this speech at the University of Utah uh, where he said that I Donald Trump that. is a con man. Yeah. And, yes. you know, all that his supporters are going to end up with is a lousy hat. And, you know, uh, it's a good uh, Romney joke. It was a good, it was a good, a good Romney, Romney dad joke. joke. Yeah, it's a good Romney um, dad joke. <laughs> you know, and I remember covering Mitt Romney back in 2012. And he was this, you know, people might not like his politics, but he was this decent fatherly mm-hmm. figure. And to see the Republican Party. Go from somebody who is like your grandfather to somebody who is Donald Trump. Let's just you know cut to the chase. Uh, it was it was astonishing, you know. Your and, grandfather's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but it, you know, it was uh, it was it was just an incredible thing. And I, mm-hmm. I I kept waiting for the Republican Party to say, "Wait a minute, we can't do this anymore." You know, Trump would say things right. like, "I can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it." Crazy talk. He could say that John McCain wasn't a war hero and get away with it. And we were all out on the campaign trail thinking, eventually, this is all going to catch up with him. And then it never did. Yeah, that was the thing that got me when he said that about John McCain and he said it with such glee and he was also being defensive and I thought his numbers were going to plummet after that and nothing happened. No, nothing happened. And what, and I talk about this in the book, one of the things that his advisors picked up on is that when Trump would go out there and say these outrageous and outlandish things, the news media would flock to it. You know, we would, we were chasing the so-called bright, shiny objects and, you know, they thought, Ooh, let's keep doing this. And Donald Trump said, Oh, let's, this is working. Let's keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And it did drive the news cycle on a regular basis to the point where Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and those guys said, we can't get on TV because this guy is driving the story mm-hmm. every day. And, you know, folks will say, well, did you guys give him too much attention and, you know, too much coverage and so on? I remind folks, he was the Republican front runner throughout the almost the entire process. Mm-hmm. And so the question I ask is, as a news organization, you know, or as a journalist, how do you not cover the front runner as the front runner? You know, it's sort of like when people ask me now, you know, should you be f- reporting on the president? You know, should we re- be reporting on the president's tweets? Well, you know, the question mm-hmm. speaks volumes. Should we be reporting on the president, you know, or should we yeah. be reporting on what he says? Um, I, the questions, you know, the question suggests that perhaps we shouldn't because of the things that he says, but we can't stop covering him. He's the president. Well, CNN's taken a lot of flack from it and yeah. from some of their own people. I think you mentioned even in your book, I had Jeffrey Tubin on my show. <laughs> he was almost very apologetic, but I get it. You know, there's a, a crash. You kind of have to cover that crash. That's right. Yeah. You know, but it, um, it, it did. Um, is there journalistic re- regretfulness with some of that? Or I think that lessons were learned for mm-hmm. sure. And I think what you're going to see moving forward is you're going to see less of those rallies covered end to end. And I think what you're going to see more of. <laughs> No one's disappointed. <laughs> and what you're going to see more of is, you know, we'll go to the rally, we'll go to the correspondent at the rally after mm-hmm. it's over, and they'll say, okay, Jim, what did he say? You know, what happened there? And then maybe, you know, as a guest with the anchor, there'll be a fact checker. We just hired this great new fact checker, Daniel Dale from the Toronto Star. Yeah. People might know who he is. Uh, he's kind of a social media celebrity now because he is like this fact check guru. He, I think he knows Donald Trump's falsehoods better than Donald Trump does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you're going to see moving forward is, you know, a savvier coverage of what he does, because he does throw this stuff out there. I I write in the book, you know, a senior White House official one time said to me, you know, Donald Trump rules by creating instability. You know, he he makes everything Mm -hmm. unstable around him. That way he controls the chaos. Yeah. And he was doing it on the campaign trail and he's doing it now. I I look at it a little differently. To me, I feel like he's the WWF president, you know, (laughs) like that's true. Yeah. He likes spectacle. It seems like, you know, of course he's into his brand and everything, but those rallies, to me, what was interesting was the spectacle of it. You know, you're waiting for somebody to get body slammed, literally, you know, in it. And for confrontation. People were getting punched. Yes, you're looking for confrontation to happen and all those things, you know, and it felt like that then transferred over into his relationship with the press, that same type of WWF type of confrontation, the way he calls people out. It's like... uh, 
you know, he, he's a wrestler and he gives people nicknames even, you know. It really is And we've amazing. seen those clips of Donald Trump, you know, during the days when he was a reality TV star going right. to pro wrestling matches and pretending to body slam people or pretending to get in, you know, fights with folks. And, you know, he has been an observer and a participant in this kind of reality TV shtick mm -hmm. for a long time now. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see it on national television as the president of the United States. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I tell folks is, is that, yes, you know, he, he is sort of pulling these reality TV maneuvers on us from time to time, but that doesn't change what we have to do at, at CNN or what mm -hmm. we have to do in the press. We still have to cover this as a serious, serious thing. This isn't reality TV. This isn't a joke. Uh, th these are very important matters that, uh, that, you know, are critical to all of our daily lives and to the security and safety of the world. You know, mm -hmm. when people ask, you know, does it matter if the president, you know, is honest or or, you know, should we just take him seriously and not literally? Well, right now we have a national security crisis going on with Iran. Yeah. So, you know, the, the credibility of the United States government is important, as it turns sure. out, when it comes to, you know, is the public going to believe, you know, if we mm -hmm. get into a national security crisis? The public going to trust what Trump says about, you know, what's happening with Iran if for 10,000 other times he's been caught in these whoppers and these falsehoods. Do you think Trump has changed or is changing how we how people relate to the presidency? I mean, he he seems to have a different. I mean, maybe sometimes these things happen and you can't go back. You can't put that genie in the bottle. You know, um, the way he communicates directly with the public. I think that is a change. Mm. Like if if. Trump has learned the power of, of communicating directly for good or for bad, you know, through Twitter, which I don't know how you guys cover that. Um, it's not easy. How do you the, how do you cover his Twitter? Because do you look at those as official statements or well, just I, the I, ramblings of a man? That was a question during one of the press briefings with uh -huh. Sean Spicer. You know, somebody did ask the question, well, are the tweets considered official statements of the president? And right. Sean Spicer said yes, which I'm not sure they really wanted him to say, but, you know, they are official statements. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'll just tell people how my day starts. My day basically starts at the, you know, crack of dawn. I wake up, I look at my phone and there are all these notifications on my phone. The president's been up tweeting since I, before I was awake. And some of those tweets are factually challenged and the, you know, I'm being diplomatic. We, we just got started. Um, but, you know, yeah, he's the, sitting on his gold toilet at 3 a.m. Well, yeah. <laughs> or whatever color it is. But, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, the, you know the, this has made us fact checkers in real time. We spend a lot of our time and energy fact checking the tweets, fact checking his statements. Yeah. And people will say, well, why do you spend so much time doing that? And my question is, well, my goodness, what would our sense of the world be? What would our sense of the truth be and, the, mm -hmm. and reality be if we didn't correct the record? You know, 10,000 whoppers would be hanging out there as the truth and as reality. We can't do that. Yeah, it's almost... <sighs> It's so frustrating for me um, when I think, like, when you say 10,000, was it the Stalin quote where he said one one death is a murder, but a million is a, a statistic or something like that? I'm paraphrasing. But it almost seems like Trump has done that with lying, you know, like 
One fib is a lie, but 10,000 lies, what does that become? That becomes his version of reality, I suppose, right? Right. And he has his own version of reality, yeah. it seems. And, uh, you know, I talked to... And now you have to debate him on his terms sometimes yeah. with his version of reality. And people ask, you know, about these press conferences and how we go back and forth and why is it so contentious mm. and so forth. Well, if the first time you ask the question, what you get is a line of BS, you know, you do have to keep poking and prodding, whether it's the president or Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Sean Spicer. Yeah. You know, you can't just take what they say at face value. And, you know, I, I take folks back to the very first full day of the administration when Sean Spicer came out there and told everybody <laughs> that Donald Trump had the biggest inauguration crowd size in the history of the country. And we, he didn't take any questions that day. And we and all of us in the press corps, you're, you know, like you're sitting where, where we were. And he came out and he said this. And we all looked at each other afterwards. And we were like, my God, what just happened here? Ugh. Like, what is going on? It, it really rocked our worlds. Yeah. Because, you know, under Obama, you know, the press secretary, Josh, Ernest would come out or Jay Carney would come out and they would talk for an hour and it would get to the point where the reporters in the briefing room would say, okay, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Jay. Right. We're, we're done. We're ready to go now. We got to get yeah. back to work. And, and Josh would say, oh, no, let me take another question. Now, he, uh, and uh, with uh, with this uh, current crew, you know, we, we're lucky if we even have a briefing. Sarah Sanders has not had a briefing in over 100 days. Uh, she gets she gets paid a lot of money to be a spokesperson for the United States government. How is that accountability? How is that being accountable to the people? What she does these days is she'll go out and she'll do a live interview with Fox News. And then on her way back to her office, she might stop and talk to the rest of us for a few minutes and mm -hmm. then go back into her office. How is what? Yeah. What world are we living in? You, you know? know, it's interesting you brought up the the whole Sean Spicer thing with the with the mo I find that first lie an unbelievably incredible lie. I am so in admiration of that lie. Yeah, it was it was an amazing lie because we saw the truth, you know. Right. The, the audacity of that lie is so... Mm, chef's kiss. It's really fantastic. It's a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece lie because he's he's saying, I don't give a shit what you just saw. I don't give a shit about the truth. Shit is going to change here right now. And we're like, what the fuck? We know we saw this. What's going on? This is why I said, like when people say, well, Hillary lies too. I always said, Hillary lied like a politician. Trump lies like a crack head. Like, that's the difference. Like an alcoholic. He does. He, he challenges reality itself and yeah. then challenges us to fuck with what he just said. You know? And that... Larry... God bless you, Mr. President. Let me just tell you, you are my inside voice. <laughs> yes! Yeah. It's fantastic, because think about this, Jim. He comes out, that's his first one. He comes out with that. He comes out of the gate. He says, yeah, motherfuckers, the game's changing right now. The we game is a, changing. We should do a bit where you just voice the thought <laughs> yes. coming out of my head. That's what he did. That's why I, I thought, this is amazing. This is how he's going to play yeah. this. And and think about all the, his, the best lies have that quality to it. They do. Yes. It's true. And his best lies. I'm saying Trump's best lies. That's right. right. And, and what I They're found, amazing. I mean, what, what we noticed at the mm -hmm. beginning of all of this was that, I mean, his his credibility was basically shot on the very first day of the administration. So if mm. people are wondering, well, why is it during these briefings that yeah. came in afterwards, why folks, you know, you saw the clips of people rolling their eyes. You and I were mm. talking about this beforehand. There are, you know, montages of April Ryan, of my <laughs> yes. colleagues, of like rolling their eyes and what was that? Yes. And, and so on, because, you know, it got to a point where we're in the briefing. Room. We're supposed to be journalists with poker right. faces here, and we can't believe what we're hearing, you know. Mm. 
And it's like, wait, you know, sometimes they, they, they're asking us, uh, you know, are you are you being too contentious and asking these sure. questions? Sometimes we just want to make sure. Did we hear that correctly? You know, is that mm -hmm. is that right? Um, and so that is. And, and then the second part yeah. to that, too, is, OK, so not only is that lie out there, then Trump gets Sean Spicer to to double down on it. And he's yeah. right. He's got to swallow that thing, that big horse pill in his mouth. And, you know, the horse pill is sticking out for everybody to see. Everybody knows he had to swallow that crap. You know, yeah, he can barely even get it out as he's saying it, you know, yeah, and which you know, was another brilliant thing, because now he's got his crews peddling his lies. Right? And, and I think that's what people lost sight of. And as I write in the book, you know, I think what Sarah and Sean lost sight of is that they work for the American people. They work mm -hmm. for the taxpayers. They don't work for the Trump organization. Right. They don't work for Donald Trump. Trump. They're not a contestant on one of his reality shows. Uh, they're working for us. And, yeah. and this is reality, you know. That was the, also the first time, uh, I think you write in your book too, where Kellyanne Conway said alternative facts, right? Right. And you say that she actually, and I guess she said this to you or to somebody, that she actually she said this to me, yeah. additional information and alternative, or what was it? I'll, I'll, Additional uh, alternative information and additional facts. And additional facts. Yeah. And she just kind of she jumbled it all together. Yeah. That's what she said. She, she's. I mean, she's right. one of the few people, to her credit, who sat down with me on the record for this book. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump wouldn't do it. Sarah wouldn't do it. She and Steve Bannon did it. Uh, uh, Kellyanne and Steve Bannon did. And Kellyanne says she claims that she didn't mean to say alternative facts. She meant to say alternative information and additional facts, and they got mushed together. Now, now we have take, Freudian slips for a reason. You have Freudian slips for a reason and people can take that with a grain of salt but what i found interesting and you'll see this also in the book is that she also says i don't agree with the term the enemy of the people mm -hmm. and she also says i don't agree with taking kids away from their parents at the border so i thought it was surprising that here is somebody who is a very senior white house official disagreeing with the president on multiple different occasions and saying it out loud to one of his least favorite reporters mm -hmm. um so and i found that to be the case larry uh, throughout the writing of this book and through my reporting at cnn is that that there are people working inside, forget the people up on Capitol Hill or in the mm -hmm. press, there are people working inside the, the White House who don't agree with what's going on and yeah. who are exhausted by his behavior and his rhetoric and so on. Is that the so-called deep state? I don't know if that, I don't think that's the deep state. Mm -hmm. As I like to say, <laughs> if you're talking about the deep state, you're in deep something else. Right. Um, no, I mean, a lot of these folks who come to us, Larry, are, are folks that are, I, I describe them as patriotic Americans. They're, mm -hmm. they're people who, they see a reporter who's trying to get to the bottom of something and they want to help out. Uh, now, are there some folks who are trying to spin us and knife another, you know, rival inside uh, mm -hmm. this chaotic West Wing in the back and so on? Sure, there's some of that that goes on. But, you know, as I write in the book, you know, there's one national security official to me who said to me that uh, he couldn't tell whether the president was advancing U.S. interests mm -hmm. and could not explain why Trump was so cozy with Vladimir Putin. And so I thought, gave him a soccer ball. Yeah, he gave him a happy. soccer ball. But mm -hmm. I thought I thought that was pretty shocking coming from a national security official working inside the Trump sure. administration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when when Vladimir Putin was running for reelection in March of 2018, Trump wanted to send him a clipping in the mail, a newspaper clipping saying, good luck, Vladimir. Uh, hope you do well. Um, you know, this, this kind of stuff is and we're having a fun and we're joking around here, but some of this stuff is really serious. Mm -hmm. And it's been you know, it's been a heck of a ride trying to keep uh, tabs of it all, mainly because, as you and I were talking talking about this before we came out here, it's just sort of an exhausting news cycle, right. one after another. 
But we have no choice. We've got to stay on top of this. And your transcripts, what's interesting in the book, it's hard not to laugh a lot in this book, too, it's, especially sure. when you're when you're reading the way that you're talking to the president. And when you see his words on the page and your interruptions are hilarious because you're always trying to get to that to that to that kind of point. You know, I mean, do you feel like let me ask you this personally. Yeah. Do you feel like you're. How should I say this? Do you feel like you have a partisan view on the way that you ask the president questions or do you feel like you're you're having you want to get to the truth? I think that there are lots of different mm -hmm. ways to get at the truth. And I think sometimes you have to poke and prod, you know, yeah. in certain places to see if you can, you know, get them to break out of their talking points because he even has his own talking. Oh, points. of course. Right. Um, but, you know, one of the things that was astounding to me, and this was at the February 2017 press conference, uh, we were going back and forth over the Russian investigation mm -hmm. and the firing of Michael Flynn, the national security advisor and so on. And it was during this press conference where he called me very fake news. Uh -huh. And I thought, OK, well, he's done it again. And then after the press conference is over, I get this phone call and it's from Hope Hicks, one of his top aides. And she goes, Jim, I just want you to know that the president thought you were very professional today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she said, the president says, Jim gets it. And I think to myself, wait a minute, five minutes ago, he's calling me yeah. very fake news. And then after the press conference, his aide is calling me and saying, Jim gets it. He's very professional. Mm -hmm. What that says to me is that this is an act. And I talked to a lot of- I feel of like he has a crush on you. Well, <laughs> I hope not, Larry. I really hope not. It's, you know. I'm so trying to, like I'm trying to stay professional. And, uh, this is, you know, um, yeah. yeah. No, let's not do that. That kind of stopped you in your tracks. Yeah, it did stop me in my tracks. Where yeah. was I in that story there? Yeah. No, but I, you know, no, he crushes on you though. He says, Jim McCaster, you are a very good reporter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, and that also happened at that press conference. Yeah. But my sense of it was, is that it started off as this act, as this reality TV shtick. And yeah. then when he found out that we weren't Meatloaf and Omarosa <laughs> and some of the other characters from The Apprentice. Well, there was an Omarosa. There was an Omarosa. Yes. That's true. That was, she didn't work in the White House. That's yeah. very good. That's a good point. Meatloaf might be in there somewhere. He might. Know. Gary Busey, I yeah. don't know, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. um, but He's probably uh, eating Meatloaf right yeah. now. <laughs> we weren't going mm -hmm. along as like characters from The yeah. Apprentice. And we were saying, hold on a second, uh, Mr. President, that's not true. I think that's when we started getting under his skin. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, maybe this was, you know, what I do wasn't something he anticipated. And, uh, you know, season two or season three of yeah. The White House Apprentice. <laughs> when did, uh, when was the first time he used fake news, that term? Do you remember? Fake news was something he used for the first time at a press conference uh, in January of 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, this was his uh, press conference during the transition. It was like nine days before he was sworn into office. CNN had just broken the story that the U.S. intelligence community had gone to the president-elect and said, Mr. President, uh, the Russians may have compromising information on you. Uh, this may affect your presidency. You know, watch out. And, you know, first Sean Spicer comes out and uses the term fake news. And then Mike Pence comes out and uses the term fake news. And then Donald Trump does the same thing. And I thought, you know what? 
um, th- this was starting to bug me. I, I, mm-hmm. You know, after we had been abused out there on the campaign trail and called the dishonest news media and disgusting news media and so on, I thought, you know what, this is this is different. This is more than just attacking the press. This is taking a story that was true and real and trying to say that it was fake. This was telling people that up was down and black was white. Mm-hmm. And my sense was the president of the United States can't do that. You can't just go into the Oval Office pulling the wool over people's eyes like this. And so I tried to butt in and ask him a question. And that's when he said, no, 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 you're terrible. You're fake news. Um, but and, and what we've seen ever since then is the president calling stories that he doesn't like fake news. And mm-hmm. as I write in the book, every time he calls us fake news, that, that's usually a tell, you know, like a poker player has a tell. Oh, completely. And it's usually when we're on to something, I like to call the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that, that is when we're, when we're drilling down to that point <laughs> where he is going back to those insults and that sort of thing, that's when I tell folks, okay, this is when we all need to pay really close attention. Right. Because that is when we've, we've hit on something. I love in your book where <laughs> you're talking about the leaks. I mean, that White House, it leaked like a, it was unbelievable. It was like a cheese grater, you know. Um, and uh, he said, well, the leaks are real, but the news is fake. Yeah. It's a mind bender. I don't know what how that What does that works. mean? I don't know. That's when I usually say, check, please. You know, I'm out of here. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, yeah, that was that happened during one of those moments. It's like uh, the information in is correct, but your reporting of it is fake. That's right. And, uh, you know, uh, Leslie Stahl, to her credit over at CBS, uh, she at one point reported uh, that Donald Trump personally told her that he calls stories fake news and he goes off on the press because he doesn't want the public to believe what we say. And so at mm-hmm. that press conference, when he called me very fake news, one of the things I asked him was, Mr. President, when you do that, aren't you undermining the public's confidence mm-hmm. in the press? Aren't you undermining people's confidence in what they hear and what they see? And he kind of started, you know, started to agree with that. He says, you know, you're right about that. But and then he got back to how he feels uh, badly treated by the press. And, and my point of it is, is that, wait a minute, you know, folks say to me all the time, well, why is it that the approval levels for the press are so low right now? Well, if the president of the United States is running us down on a regular basis, of course, there are going to be folks out there who lose confidence in us. And one of the things I get to towards the end of this book is we can't have a situation in this country where half of the country believes what the president says or what his allies say in conservative media and then what everybody else believes because they're getting it from the mainstream press. If we're not dealing with a common set of facts and a common sense of the truth, we're in big trouble. Do you think the public is at that point now? Do you you think the president has eroded trust in what we can call mainstream press? I think he has. I think that, you know, a lot of his supporters, you know, and I see this at the rallies, you know, mm-hmm. I'll go to these rallies and I get, uh, you know, a combination of things. I get the middle finger. I get uh, people yelling at me and saying all sorts of things. And then some of them will say, can I have a selfie? Uh, so it's a mixed bag. And then they give you the middle finger during and the then selfie. They, sometimes they do that. Yeah. There's a, it's, mm-hmm. they, they satisfy both urges. But, right. um, but what, what I find, what's interesting about the rallies and one of the reasons why I like covering the rallies is that it's sort of like holding up a mirror mm-hmm. uh, to America. And it, it is sort of tapping into the mindset of, uh, of a Trump supporter, because what I often find is, is that they're selling us essentially what they've been told 
on the president's favorite media outlets. And I hear kind of the same talking points. And I think to myself, my goodness, you know, folks are being uh, immersed in this stuff. People are saying those same things. They're saying, I mean, I remember going to one Trump rally and there was a baby in a onesie that said CNN is fake news. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking to myself, Mm -hmm. a baby in a onesie has got this button. I mean, what's next in in utero indoctrination? You know, like uh, that that to me is, is a worrying sign. And you would see these, you know, signs at the rallies, uh, people holding up signs, uh, talking about various conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. And as I write in the book, this really shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody when you have a conspiracy theorist in the White House, you know, and folks might say, well, maybe that's being too harsh, Jim. Should you be saying that? Well, remember, uh, Donald Trump was one of the leading proponents of one of the biggest false conspiracy theories of all time, which is Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States. Mm -hmm. That is a false, bogus conspiracy theory. So it shouldn't come as a big surprise to folks that many of his supporters also adopt uh, conspiracy theories as fact as well, as disturbing as it may seem to you and I. How do you, as as a member of the press, how do you deal with the the, um, overseas part of it? That, to me, is some of the most egregious. When the president overseas, um, I think Helsinki was one of the places to where he will uh, just demean the press and call them out. I think that is even worse than what he does here. How, how do you guys deal with that sort of thing? Well, I, I think I it's... I mean, your head's supposed to be exploding when that happens. A little right? bit, yeah. No no question about it. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, this is what it's like. You go on these uh, road trips with the president, you go overseas, and you're essentially at the mercy of the White House and mm-hmm. their handlers and so on, because they're moving you from one event to the next. And yeah, when the president goes off on us in front of the press, uh, for, say, a, a, a foreign government that we're visiting that day, mm-hmm. you know, it is pretty depressing because the United States of America is supposed to be this beacon of democracy all over the world. We're supposed to be setting the example for all of these countries everywhere else. And I, I, and I mentioned this one story when we uh, went abroad with the president, went to Asia, and he met with the, uh, the guy who's in charge of the Philippines right now, this guy, Rodrigo uh, Duterte, right. who is a brutal, uh, essentially an autocrat dictator now in that country. And there was this one press conference where he, Duterte refers to us as spies. He says, I'm not going to talk to you guys. You're the spies. And Trump started laughing along with that. Jesus. You know, and it made me think, you know, if you're the president of the United States, okay, if you're not going to stand up for us at that moment in time, which maybe you should have, you should have, uh, at least don't laugh along when the dictator calls right. us spies. You know, um, you know, this has happened on multiple occasions. And, you know, and right in front of Theresa May, he, you know, called me fake news at a press conference. Yeah, I remember that. Britain before the Helsinki summit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the world is watching, you know, the world is watching this and they're taking note. And this is why you have longstanding U.S. allies, NATO partners who question whether they do it openly now, whether or not they can count on the United States. Uh, Whose hands uh, does that play into? Of course, it plays into Vladimir Putin's hands. Mm -hmm. And the other folks who are watching around the world, those other autocrats and dictators, those other foreign governments around the world that don't respect our values. They're seeing the president of the United States degrade, uh, you know, the discourse in, in such a way that it, I think it opens doors for them and invites them to sort of be his mini me, mini me on the world stage. Yeah. And uh, we just don't know what the consequences of that are going to be like. But my, my sense of it is if we don't see either a course correction in his behavior or, you know, on the national level in terms of our elections, uh, you're going to see other governments around the world start taking a page from him. You know, mm-hmm. this, this happened just recently, not to drone on too long about this. The president of of Brazil came to the White House 
Uh, they have a new hard right president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, and he came to the White House for a, a joint press conference in the Rose Garden. And Bolsonaro referred to stories back in Brazil as fake news. And so now it's like a virus that's that's spreading around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting how he likes to buddy up with these uh, strong men around the world. I mean, joking with Kim Jong-un, he wants to be his buddy so bad, you know. It's it's just really shocking to me. Some people feel that Trump wants to be that here. Um, I don't think he's like this brilliant Machiavellian. I just think he's an immature three-year-old that's interested in his own brand. But I could be wrong. Do you? Is there a sense of fear about that Trump has an ulterior motive in this, or is he just really not that complicated? Well, he keeps joking about uh, you know maybe he'll have a third term where they'll add on some years to his term in office because he feels you know cheated by the Mueller investigation. Yeah, Bill so, Maher thinks he's not going to leave if he well, loses and, the election. And I, well, and I <laughs> talked to. A, a political, uh, you know, analyst in this book, mm-hmm. uh, long, you know, a longtime uh, political science professor, Larry Sabato, uh, at the University of Virginia, sure. a very respected guy, presidential scholar, and he said, "Never since Richard Nixon have I ever worried about a president carrying out a coup mm. to stay in office." Mm-hmm. Now, this is not some crackpot somewhere. Right. This is Larry Sabato from the University of Virginia, who doesn't mm-hmm. throw around that kind of rhetoric, and so there, there are real concerns out there. <laughs> I think that'll be a very big moment for the Republican Party, and I write about this in the book. There have been so many moments during the first two years of this presidency where the Republican Party had an opportunity to slam the brakes on some of this behavior and and hit the pause button on some of this rhetoric. And they just didn't do it because they were getting, in exchange for going along with the president's rhetoric and behavior, they were getting tax cuts, they were getting conservative judges, and they were getting things like that. And they weren't, uh, you know, saying, hey, Mr. President, you shouldn't call the press the enemy of the people, or hey, Mr. President, you shouldn't refer to immigrants in this fashion. And my sense of it is if if Donald Trump doesn't want to go willingly at the end of this term, and I can't believe I'm even talking about this as if this is a possibility, but people do worry about this, yeah. it's going to be a huge moment for the Republican Party because my sense of it is, is that they're going to they're going to have to be the ones to say that's it, Mr. President, it's time to go. Yeah, think so. Yeah. Clapping for that sentiment, I guess yeah. you know. I suppose. Um, what do you What do you expect to see in this next election in terms of Trump? Um, do you think he's going to try to do his thing the same way, just, or is he going to turn the Democrats into you guys? <laughs> you know? Well, he's starting to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he didn't have, uh, you know, the the, the villain uh, pro wrestler there at the beginning of his administration. That's yeah. kind of what we got turned into, and now he's got Democrats to run against, and he's starting to do that. Um, you know, I think he's got a really big uphill climb going into 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him go back to that issue of immigration during the 2018 midterms. Remember, he was referring to that uh, caravan of migrants as an invasion, and he was trying to push people's buttons again the way he did during the 2016 campaign. And you really really pushed him on that point. And I pushed him on that point. Mm And, you know, one of the things that we found was there were Republican operatives, you know, there were folks up on Capitol Hill saying, don't do this. We don't want you doing this because you were going to turn off people in these swing districts, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what happened in a lot of these House races. One of the reasons why the Democrats got swept into power in such a huge, decisive fashion is because there were folks in these swing districts who said, you know, we're tired of this immigration rhetoric. This does not work on us. And people forget that midterm elections typically favor the Republican Party. 
if you look at the turnout for midterms, it's usually the Republicans who turn out in higher numbers. In presidential elections, those are the years when Democrats turn out in higher numbers. The Democratic Party won by an eight-point margin in the 2018 midterms. What does that tell you? That this margin could be even higher in 2020. So what did we see Donald Trump just do this past week? Right before his first official kickoff rally down in Orlando, Florida, what's the issue that he hits? Immigration. Mm -hmm. Remember, he put out that tweet earlier this week that said that we're going to have this big roundup of of undocumented immigrants all across the country. And then we reached out to our sources. I talked to a senior administration official who said there's nothing happening. There's nothing imminent happening. (laughs) He's just throwing stuff out there. Now, they said that they may have some operations happening down the road, but he said there was nothing imminent. The sufficient said there's nothing imminent. And so he's trying to go back to this issue of immigration because he knows it it is it's exciting for his base. But it didn't work for him in the 2018 midterms. And my sense of it is he's kind of feeling around. What am I going to do this time around in 2020 to get the same thing going again? And, you know, he may he may find that in 2020 he's not going to be able to replicate what he did in 2016. Because immigration was such a strong. I always felt that he won because of immigration. And when I say won, I mean, that's what electrified his base was that was that um, issue. But it and people call it red meat. I don't even think it's red meat for his base. I think it's like LSD for his base, you know. Yeah. It's like this hallucinogen that they think people are invading our country. Stop them. Where are they? You know? Well, that's that's the way I describe it. You know, it's like California is still California. You yeah. know, it's not the colony of New Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't raise the Mexican flag over yeah. Los Angeles or anything like that. <laughs> and, you know, down on the border, it wasn't like a scene out of Game, and, a Game of Thrones. There mm-hmm. weren't, you know, catapults shooting boulders over the border. There were like moms with little kids with yeah. Dora the Explorer strollers and stuff like that. You know, uh, and, and my sense of it is, is that what we've seen this with this uh, issue of immigration is a criminalization and a demonization of of desperation. Mm-hmm. And you have people coming to this country because they're desperate to leave these, you know, gang infested uh, places in Central America. They're not coming here to change our way of life or take jobs away from people that uh, that they, you know, that they could mm-hmm. normally find. Uh, they're doing it because they're in big trouble down there. Yeah. And, you know, I get it that we need to have borders and we need to have security in, in this country. But my goodness, how can we get to a point in this country? And I write about this in the book where we're taking kids away from their parents. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. I still don't get that. And I think it's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's okay as a straight news reporter to say that. You right. know, as I write in the book, there aren't two sides to a story. There aren't two sides to a story when it's a matter of right versus wrong. And I just, I, I think I thought about that maybe because I'm a parent. I was like, wow, what are we going to say to ourselves 5, 10, 15 years from now when we mm-hmm. go back and look at this footage yeah. of these kids uh, being separated from their parents? Uh, it makes me shake my head. How do you deal with it personally? I mean, like when you went through the whole thing where you were accused of hitting the intern or or smacking them or whatever yeah. it was uh, with the doctor video <laughs> yes but personally that's you know it kind of crosses that line a little bit it seems as a professional um was that a tough thing to deal with uh 
I, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was uh, there on that subject of the caravan. I was asking the president about right. this and saying, Mr. President, you're calling an invasion. It's not an invasion. And we went back and forth and he got he got very upset. Uh, you know, he if there's one thing he doesn't like, he doesn't like being called out for his dishonesty and he doesn't like being called out for his insensitive and offensive rhetoric. And mean, was, he doesn't like to be called up for just talking or just talking. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in, in that situation. It was kind of a double whammy. I mean, he was doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm looking over here, and there's this intern coming from my microphone, and you can see in the video, I, I recoil, I I pull back, and I say, "Pardon me, ma'am," and uh, she, you know, for a moment or two, tries to to take the microphone, and she goes away, and then you know, I go back about doing my business, I go do my live shot on CNN, I do my story for Wolf Blitzer that night, I leave, I go to dinner, I'm, I'm coming back to the White House, and I'm looking at my phone, and all of a sudden, I see this notification on my phone, it's a statement from Sarah Sanders, not to me, but to the whole world, Jim Acosta's press pass has been revoked. And I th- and I think to myself, wow. And it, and it says, and we will not tolerate a reporter laying his hands on a White House intern, like I'm Bill Clinton all of a sudden or something like that, <laughs> you know? And it's like, wait a minute, I didn't do that. And then, you know, and so I retweeted her tweet and I said, this is a lie. And I think to this day, it's got like 99,000 retweets or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later that night to defend herself, she goes, and we stand by our decision and here's the video, here's why. And that was the doctored video. That was right. the video that they put out where they actually sped up the video to make it look like I did this karate chop motion on the intern. You remember the karate chop? Does everybody remember that? <laughs> and I tell folks, you know, pork chops I know, karate chops I don't know. You know, I'm not, you know, there, there's no black belt uh, that they hand out at mm-hmm. CNN. I don't have anything along those lines. But, um, but I thought to myself, you know, all kidding aside, that we're sort of in this George Orwell 1984 upside down world where the White House, the United States government, people forget that. They're like, oh, that's just Sarah Sanders and Sean Spicer and mm-hmm. Donald Trump. That's not the White House. That's just this TV show we watch. No, it's the United States government. Uh, using your tax dollars to put out a doctor video. And we found out that that video came from the people over at InfoWars, which I, I hate even saying wow. the name of that website yeah. because it's such a discredited conspiracy theory ridden, you know, bogus website. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, we're paying Sarah how much money to put out doctored videos from InfoWars? It was just mind bending. And mm-hmm. so, but to, you know, to CNN's credit, there was no hesitation. There was no wishy washiness. Uh, they decided right away this is an important First Amendment case. Uh, we took uh, the, the Trump administration, we took the White House to court. You know, the, the lawsuit said, you know, CNN and Jim Acosta versus Donald J. Trump. And that, at that moment, I was like, wow, okay, this is heavy. Uh, <laughs> this, this is not the people's court. It's not Judge Judy. This is real. I wish it were Judge Judy. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, I was get out. You're done. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> no more. And we didn't get Judge Judy. We got a uh, Trump-appointed judge. Good. And I remember thinking to myself, I write about this in the book. I'm like, oh, man, we got the mm. Trump-appointed judge. My goose might be cooked here. But even the Trump-appointed judge said, you know what? I've got to go with, you know, case law and, and mm-hmm. precedent. And, you know, there was a court case that had been handled in this in a similar fashion where essentially they just took somebody's press pass away, didn't give them their rights. And, you know, the judge followed that uh, essentially to the conclusion that we we ended up with. 
with. But what I remind folks about, and you'll read about this in the book, is, you know, consider the case that the Trump administration was making. The Trump administration's own lawyers, Justice Department lawyers, we had lawyers on behalf of the United States Justice mm-hmm. Department arguing against me, paid for with your tax dollars, and they made the argument in federal court that the president of the United States can pick and choose who covers the White House. They made that argument in course. They, they said that if the president doesn't like the coverage that you're doing or the reporting that you're doing, that the White House can say, you know what, you're out of here. We can take away your press pass. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, if we ended up being unsuccessful in that case, if the judge had ruled against CNN, first of all, we were going to appeal it. It could go on forever. But it would have put a real chilling effect on the First Amendment and free speech in this country. And I'm not trying to puff up what happened with me or anything, but you could have had governors, the governor of this state, the, the mayor of this city, uh, say, well, we're not going to, you know, have uh, this station at this press conference anymore because we don't like the coverage that you did. And by the way, we're, we're backing this up because of what happened in the case of CNN versus Trump. Mm-hmm. It would have established a precedent across the country that elected officials could toss out journalists that they don't like. And my right. goodness, at that point, the question I ask is, does that sound like the United States of America anymore? My goodness, no. Actually, it does to me, <laughs> anyways. Um, because but I, I don't think so. I mean, I really don't. Well, I, Richard yeah. Nixon, he wouldn't let CBS uh, come to the White House a couple of times. He excluded some reporters from that. I think even Obama did some stuff with Fox News. Um, I think a president... President. We stood up. We, when, when Obama tried that with Fox, right. uh, the rest of the press corps said, you know what, Mr. President, you can't do that. And to Fox... Oh, go after the brother, but yeah, let, well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. let Nixon get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> But to Fox's credit, they were one of the first ones to come along and support us in mm-hmm. our court case. And I think the, they realized, you know, it's not so good when the shoe is on the other foot. And I remind my friends in conservative media, there's no guarantee you get to stay in power forever. There's no guarantee right. that That's Donald J. Trump or Donald Trump Jr. or Ivanka Trump or whoever they want to do next gets to be in the White House. <laughs> I was just making sure you're paying attention. Um, and, you know, you know, you do, I, mean, I say to my Republican friends and conservative colleagues in the media, like, do you want a Democratic president to come in and say, okay, well, Donald Trump did it to CNN. We're going to do it to you guys. You're mm-hmm. out of here. We can't keep going down that road. Right. That's not, that's not going to work do for you, anybody. Do you think uh, Fox News is turning against Trump? He seems to be worried about that. It would be uh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think they troll him sometimes, too, which is not Shepard all Smith is having a great time. Shepard Smith yeah. is the shit, man. Yeah. I love Shepard I love, Shepard. I love me some Shepard oh, Smith. Oh, man, he loves yeah. to troll Trump. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I turn the lights off and just put that on. <laughs> He's doing a great job over there. He really is. Um, and, you know, but, but what we hear from folks from time to time is um, that, and I write about this in the book, is that you know he Donald Trump is addicted to CNN. He is obsessed yeah. with CNN. He watches right. us all the time. Because you guys put breaking news up there all the time. He can't, <laughs> he can't stop watching it. He's like, wait, something's breaking. It must be about me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this one, you know, senior White House official said to me, he he loves to watch you guys all the time, but he watches Fox to make himself feel better. Yes, I, and I think he has some kind of odd relationship with Jeff Zucker too. You know, because they go back to The Apprentice. He was running NBC back at the time. And I think it's a competitive type of thing. Like he doesn't want to see Jeff win or something like that. It's so weird, you guys. Yeah. It's so, I think it's rooted it's in something. It's, yeah. I think it's rooted in something like but that. You know, you know? Uh, I will say this, you know, Jeff has made it very clear to the White House, to Sarah Sanders, to Donald Trump, that this rhetoric has got to stop. 
uh, when that self-described Trump supporter, Cesar Sayoc, sent a pipe bomb to CNN oh, and various Democratic officials around the world. You know, Jeff had really been biting his tongue uh, mm-hmm. throughout a lot of this and wasn't sending out statements all the time. And Jeff had finally had enough. And at that point, that's when he put out the statement that said the president's words matter. And, you know, as, as we have been saying at CNN lately, just because you are pro-truth doesn't mean you are anti-Trump. You know, the truth has to mean something in this country. Mm-hmm. It may not it may mean more to us than to the current occupant of the Oval Office, but that doesn't mean we stop doing our jobs. And, you know, to Jeff's credit, to the credit of the people at CNN, they stood behind me every step of the way. And I know that there are folks there, you know, sometimes they don't agree with everything that we do. But when it when it came down to defending the First Amendment, free speech in this country, the right of a free press, uh, I thought CNN, uh, you know, really did everybody a solid during that whole episode. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm proud to work there. Great. Awesome. And I know in this time of cynicism, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, come on, Jim. You know, you're, you know, is this for one of the promos or something like that? Yeah. But I make fun of CNN all the time. I know, but that's okay. That's a, we can take, we can, here's the thing. We can but take it, goes, it. Yeah. We can take it. Later. I do it all in good nature because I just, you know, it's my observation. Like I say, CNN always has breaking news and they, now they literally are breaking news, you know. But, um, I, oh, thank you. You can, if you get it on the way home, that's fine too. But you know what? I, what I tell folks is, and I mean this, and I, and I know, you know, we live in this cynical time and folks don't want to believe this and they think it's corny and stuff like that. Our hearts are in the right place, Larry. They really are. Yeah. And, I, you know, uh, when it's uh, Anderson Cooper or Wolf Blitzer or Jake Tapper, mm-hmm. Chris Cuomo, Dana Bash, uh, my colleagues over at the White House, these are some folks who are dealing with uh, uh, an unprecedented situation in some very difficult uh, times. And, you know, it's not like we want a parade thrown for us or anything like right. that. You're, you're, you're not trying to make it about We're you. not trying to make it about mm-hmm. us. We, we are looking at this as a very serious time in this country, mm-hmm. and I think we approach it like that. Yeah. Well, let's take some questions for Mr. Costa. And Ted, so, are you going to go around with the microphone and choose the people? And this is where I insult you for <laughs> asking the question. If I don't like the question you ask, I'm going to call you a name, Uh-oh. and I hope you don't mind. No, you kidding. should try the Trumpian approach, no, man. No, no, no. Kind of cool. All right. Just, I'm a lover. Just a quick reminder. Questions around here start typically with a W or an H, sometimes a D. They are generally short. <laughs> there is no such thing as a two-part question. And tonight, only Larry Wilmore gets to ask the follow-up question. So many rules. Wow. Rats, I had the whole two-part question, but I'll only make one. Yes. So how do you ferret out the news inside the White House when Sarah Sanders is not having these press briefings? How are you getting those nuggets out of people? Oddly enough, we have more truth coming out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. Um, no, what, what I find is, is that there are folks who still want to talk to us. And uh, just in case uh, folks don't, you know, have the, all the vernacular down or whatever, we talk to officials from time to time on what we call on background, where they give us the information, but they don't tell us who they are. They don't want their name attached to the information. Uh, we can still, you know, talking to various sources, put together what's happening on a daily basis in that fashion. Now, the other thing is, And as I mentioned earlier, Sarah will go do these live exclusive interviews with Fox, and then she'll come down the driveway and talk to us on the day that the full Mueller report came out, not the whitewashed version that first came out, Mm -hmm. but the full Mueller report came out. We had to settle for a Sarah Sanders driveway gaggle, as we call it, to ask her questions. Uh, And that was the day where I asked Sarah, I said, well, if the president uh, weren't the president, would he be charged with a crime right now? Because remember the whole uh, OLC memo that basically says, 
Justice Department guidelines that say, you know, the president can't be charged with a crime, a president mm -hmm. can't be indicted. Um, those are the kinds of questions that we used to ask in the briefing room when the lights were on and the cameras were on. And there was one reporter chasing after Sarah after she was finished that day saying, Sarah, why don't you go in the briefing room? The briefing room is 30 feet away and staying at the podium like you used to. Um, it is more difficult now, uh, but we're trying our best to talk to sources inside the administration. The other thing is, Donald Trump likes being his own communications director. He right. might like being his own press secretary. There's about to be yeah. an opening for press secretary. And he likes, you know, talking to us. Uh, and so we, you know, I don't know if you want to call that information, but we, that's, you know, that is how we get the administration's take on things. But, you know, we talk to folks up on Capitol Hill. We talk to folks uh, inside the Republican Party, uh, advisors to the president. Uh, and we put all of that together and try to get at something that is pretty darn close to the truth. And I think we do a solid job of it on I, a daily basis. I feel like Trump is so hoggy for attention, but then he's so stupid. He's like his own deep throat half the time, you know? <laughs> he's just revealing things about himself. Well, as you we know, say, right there's, in front a, of you, you know? there's an expression that we have now in this business. There's a there's a tweet for that, you know? Yeah. And for example... Oh, but he deep throats himself in tweets uh, all no, the time. I mean, yeah. for example, today we're talking I about Iran. I apologize for that uh, triple entendre. <laughs> you know? No, we're, today we're talking about Iran, and there's a tweet back from 2012 where he said says Barack Obama is going to start a war with Iran in order to get reelected. And it's like, yeah. you know, you can't make this stuff up. It's sort of like, you know, like a time machine back to, you know, yeah. the way he used to think back then. It's it's kind of amazing. Can I tell someone back there? Yes. Hi. Um, I want to first salute your bravery and your true patriotism. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. And... Um, Along those lines, as I was driving here tonight, I actually heard uh, him talking on the news saying, you know, that drone that went over to Iran, it didn't have any people in it. But if it had had people in it, that would have been a real problem. Yeah. I thought you are right My, about yeah. that. Um, Captain anyway. Obvious all the time, too. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway. There are My, some of these that I'm going to let Larry take. I'm just going to, you yeah. know. <laughs> He's I, like, I, you know, I, the team with the highest score wins. What? <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question. I yes, thought, and I could be wrong, that I heard recently that CNN had either different management or a different mm. president or something like that. And A, that may not be true, but I did hear it on the radio. And if so, will that change any of your reporting? Uh, we have a new company. We have a company, uh, AT&T, oh, bought right. CNN. And uh, yes, uh, and to AT&T's credit, and again, I'm not trying to sound like a corporate PR here, AT&T was very much on board with the press pass case. Uh, they didn't hesitate either. And, you know, a big corporation like that, they could have gone wobbly on us, but they didn't. Uh, but our, our same president is the one who's been there for the past, I think, six years, uh, Jeff Zucker. Uh, and, you know, I think we've got a good team over there. Um, they have not asked me to change my reporting, change what I do. Uh, nobody's told our folks to be, you know, be a little less tough on the, on the president or anything like that. And I think it's to everybody's credit at CNN that we've maintained that same approach and posture because, my goodness, it's you, know, you, you can just imagine the situation. And I can see you nodding your head, ma'am. You can imagine mm -hmm. the situation where you know executive over here talks to the White House over here and the fixes in it. You know, what we're determined to do over there is to make sure we're still doing the news, you know, sort of damn the torpedoes, you know, at this point, because it, this is a very important time. And this is some vital information that we're talking about that you deserve.
Well, Sam, uh, back in the back. Yes. Yeah, hi. A story broke today, and I'm not sure that it's accurate, but I read it. <laughs> I'll try to help you out. Okay. <laughs> that that Trump <laughs> intends to tweet rebuttals during That's right. democratic debates. Yes. Should, should should the media carry those? I mean, it seems to me that that that's disruptive. Who is he? Oh well, yeah. yeah. He tweets rebuttals. That's. Well, anyway, the question. Live oh, tweeting. he's live tweeting. He's going to live tweet oh, yeah, the Democratic debates. Yeah. Yeah. The question yeah, is: Should the media it. even cover those during the debates? Is That's a really good dis- question. Is it not disruptive? I mean, it, it seems that it's it's mad. Anyway, I think you're going to see a lot less of that. I think you're going to see a lot less of us covering the trolling and the mm-hmm. taunting. Good. You know, we we have caught on to we you know we're starting to connect the dots you know and we're seeing the patterns, and I just think you're going to see a lot less of that. I really do. I think you're going to see more fact checking. I think you're going to see more mm-hmm. investigative reporting. You know, they've been talking to me about getting out there and covering, you know, sexy topics like deregulation and stuff like that. Just so you know, folks, so you're not covering the circus. All the time. Yeah, so yeah. we're we're putting some meat on on the bones of of what we're seeing out there because a lot of folks will say, well, all you do is cover the tweets and all you do is cover the daily drama. We want to know what's happening with the environment. When I talk to my own kids about what the most important story is right now, they'll say climate change. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and we are covering a hell of a lot of climate change these days. Let me tell you, and you may not believe that to be the case, but I'll point you to some of my colleagues who are now doing a lot of coverage on that. And I think the public just responds to it almost instantaneously because it is something that we all have this sense of, my goodness, you know, we've seen the, the you know, you guys have perfect, beautiful weather here in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah. But if you look at the national data over the last 20 years, most of the hottest years on record have occurred in the last 20 years, and the most powerful hurricanes have been happening over the last two or three decades. Uh, you know, that points to a very serious problem with the climate. The Arctic ice is retreating in ways that we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, you know, there are some major uh, indicators happening right now that, you know, the planet is in trouble. And so I think you're going to see us focus on issues like that moving forward, heading into this campaign. So it's not just about the tweets and the usual back and forth with Nancy Pelosi and so on. And I think people are going to be better served in the long run because of that. Great. In the corner over here, we're kind of following the mic. Yes. What is um, your sense of the connection or the relationship, the true relationship between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin? Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question. I got to tell you. I mean, and that's why I put it in my book. I talked to a top national security official who said, I can't I can't explain this to you. Mm -hmm. And I I talked to this official on several different occasions. And even after the Mueller report, I went back to this person and I said, "Okay, now what do you think? And this person said, I still can't sort this out for you, Jim. I can't. Uh, make heads or tails of this very cozy relationship. And we tr- you can trace this all the way back to the campaign. Uh, one of the chapters in my book is Russia, if you're listening. You know, people, uh, I, I like to point this out. I mean, I asked the question that, you know, uh, prompted Trump to say that. I asked him, why won't you tell Putin to stay out of our elections? This was after the hack at the DNC was reported for the first time. 
And that was when he launched into that whole Russia, if you're listening, mm -hmm. if you find Hillary Clinton's emails, you will be rewarded mightily by the press. Now, at the time, uh, the campaign said, oh, he was just joking. He didn't mean that. And, you know, some of us said, OK, or well, maybe he was joking. Remember what he said to George Stephanopoulos just the other day. Well, if a foreign government came to me with information, I'd take a look at it. Maybe I'd take it. He didn't sound like he was joking then. No, and he here we not. are. Here we are three years later, almost three years after he said, Russia, if you're listening, he's still talking about that. I think that should give the voters pause. And I think it does not take you out of the out of the lane of being a straight news reporter to say that. I, it, it does raise questions, and it's why we ask the question all the time. What do you make of this Steele dossier? Uh, the Steele dossier, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where some of it has turned out to be true. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it has turned out not to be true. But the day that Donald Trump got so mad at us at that press conference, CNN did not even report the details of the dossier. Right. We held back. We I think said, it was BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed did. Right. Yeah, there were some un unsubstantiated things in that Steele dossier. And some of you guys things. know what we're talking about. We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, you know where we're no, going no, with this. to say this crap. Yeah. Yes. Um, but what's funny it is... It really is Watergate, right? Yeah. No, I heard you. I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's hope not. Sorry. I, yeah. There are some things I don't want to see. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But you'll recall at the Helsinki summit with Vladimir Putin, you know, Vladimir Putin addressed this issue. And as I write in the book and as I point out, he didn't really deny yeah. that they had this, uh, you know, incriminating or, you know, uncompromising mm -hmm. position, whatever you want to call it, evidence. And uh, our compromising position, I guess, is the case, maybe. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and Vladimir Putin said, basically said that they have been in the practice of collecting this kind of information on business people who go to Russia. So if you go to Russia, you know, and you stay at the Ritz-Carlton, <laughs> please be on your best behavior because, yeah. Yes. Do you think the president has a substance abuse problem? A substance abuse Interesting. problem? Interesting. Where do you get that from, if I may ask? Uh, well, first, it's genetic. His brother clearly has oh, one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then you can look at the behaviors. Yeah. I don't think he does. He doesn't drink, right? No, he doesn't drink. Yeah. And um, he, maybe if it's Kentucky Fried Chicken is, is the substance. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of Diet Coke. He's got a button for Diet Coke. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that, quite honestly. Uh, and I, I couldn't venture a guess. I do know, and I will say this to their credit, they are trying to focus on this opioid uh, crisis in the country. Mm -hmm. And when he has spoken about the opioid uh, crisis, he's talked about his uh, his brother mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how he went through substance abuse issues. And so, uh, to be honest with you, sir, I, I, I've been covering him for three years. I don't have any information about that. I, it was would be just irresponsible for me to to you know take a, I mean, a guess at that. to give him some credit it's one of the few things he speaks very eloquently about yeah. you know his his brother and his i think he was an alcoholic i believe that's right, right. Yeah. that's right yeah and he's he's talked about that for a long time yeah. uh there was someone down here this young lady here Hi there, thank you so much. Um, you know, we talk about with um, Trump um, taking very real news and calling it fake news. And my observation and personal experience via this year, we have a situation where we have a lot of um, fake news that has real aspects, but is not actually being reported on accurately or correctly, mm -hmm. particularly online and with media, um, where it's really just being sort of paid for stories that are not being fully investigated by all parties. Right. What is sort of your opinion on where we've gone with online news coverage? Oh, that? Really good question. You're talking about like the fake mm -hmm. news stories that show up on Facebook 
Facebook, I'm not, no, the not Russian the, bots things plant. Things that are that showing up on real sites, on, you know, Entertainment News or Washington Post, but they're only being covered sort of in one statement of a celebrity's perspective, but has not actually been investigated or any other parties looked into the facts of a kind court case, Kind of like case, opinion news? Or? Not opinion news, mm-hmm. based on facts, but they're not actually reporting all of the facts of a situation. Mm. They're more of like a, I would say, like a media campaign that's being reported as news that actually is, has factual aspects, but isn't actually being reported mm-hmm. as facts. Well, I, you know, there's a lot of good reporters in Washington these days. I've known a bunch of the folks at the Post and the Times and the various networks for several years now. We try our darndest not to fall for that kind of stuff. And, you know, my sense of it is, is that, you know, we're doing our best every day to have multiple sources and not just take it from one individual. Uh, so you don't get a one-sided view. Um, but as for the issue of actual fake news, which sounds like an oxymoron, I mean, just to d- discuss that for a moment. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is really concerning to me is, have you guys heard about these things called deep fakes? This is the next generation in, in actual fake What is news. that? I actually don't know. So that. it's sort of like what happened to me with that uh, doctored video and the, and the press pass incident, oh, okay. where we've now gone from, okay, you've got fake news stories like Pizzagate and QAnon oh. and things like that, which is just garbage, right, so bogus, horrible. fake stuff. And Russian, Russian bots are planning these stories on Facebook pages and things like that. And it caused a lot of discord in 2016 that a lot of people were believing these, you know, stories that had websites where if you looked at the full website, it was like dot something, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, mm-hmm. and that's usually a good telltale sign of, of, a, of a fake news story that's been planted. Um, now you have the situation where you have deep fakes, where you have operatives with political campaigns who have the technical capability now of man- manipulating video, manipulating audio in such a fashion that it looks real, that what you're watching and what you're hearing seems like the real thing. Uh, sort of like the karate chop video where they sped up my arm movement to make it look like I had hit that intern. And just recently, this happened to Nancy Pelosi. You'll remember yeah, when sure, they slowed down the audio of Nancy Pelosi. Like she was it made it sound like she was drunk or slurring yeah. her speech or whatever, getting back to what this gentleman's saying, you know, talking about slurred speech and so and it's on. it's just put out there. And it's just put out there. Yeah. And on on Facebook, the Nancy Pelosi video registered millions of views. And so now you have a situation where, you know, political operatives, you know, the, the Trump campaign, they're not going to do it inside the Trump campaign. There may be operatives outside the campaign, campaign so they can have plausible deniability. Um, where, you know, some of this stuff maybe put out there just to pull the wool over people's eyes. And, you know, foreign governments may try to engage in this kind of mm-hmm. thing to sow discord in our elections. And you think the 2016 campaign was tough for reporters. It's going to be even more tough wow. for news organizations going into 2020 because we're going to be very uh, cognizant of the fact that there are dark forces out there who are trying to manipulate the video and the audio that you're taking in to try to sway votes in the upcoming election. It's a very serious problem. Do you anticipate an acceleration? of this in this election? I think it's I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to have a very big problem with this. And, you know, it's going to put every news organization on guard. CNN has done some great stories on this. If Uh you go to our website and you search, you know, or if you go on Google and search deep fake CNN and it's not a a slam on us, it's uh, I think Uh a 
way to uh, find uh, some really good stories that we've done recently on this. And you'll see some video examples of video that's been manipulated so you can see sort of the before and after and an explanation as to what's going on. It's one of those things I've been telling folks wherever I go, guys, we have to be careful about this kind of information because it's going to be injected into our news cycle uh, like a virus. Jim, how, do, how does the average person who's not like doesn't come to an event like this. They're not on social media every day. You know, they're at work most of the day because, you know, they're trying to make ends meet, trying to feed their kids, that type of thing. I feel like they're so vulnerable to this type of thing. How How do we fight that? As both from a media point of view, like as a reporter, and even from what I'm doing, what, do you have an opinion on that or my, advice? My advice is— I'm most worried about that. That's where I most know. of our votes will be coming from, are those types of people, right? Yeah. I mean, my advice is is to, you know, we got to keep talking to one another. Mm-hmm. And I, all these folks in this audience tonight may be of a sympathetic point of view to, to the press and to CNN. And I appreciate that. I'm so happy mm-hmm. that that's the case. But you may have friends, you may have relatives mm-hmm. uh, who— who you you know can't really have a conversation with thank you know over at Thanksgiving uh, dinner anymore because it's so difficult to talk about this political climate. My and I know this is difficult to hear and you don't want to hear it and you're like ah, I'm not going to listen to this guy. Please don't give up on talking to those relatives and those friends because you know moving forward into this next campaign, as much as it drives you nuts to talk to your aunt Edna, your uncle uh, Ralph about politics, um, I think that we we can't give up on talking to one another about what's happening to this country. And you know my sense of it is, and I this goes back to some of the themes in my book is. We don't want to hand. Remember when you and I were growing up, Larry, and we would talk about, you know, our grandparents and our parents would talk about how they don't want to hand off to the next generation a country that that is worse off they than want the to one. Be better. They want mm-hmm. it to be better. They want to hand off to the next generation a better country than the one they got. Does anybody ever say that anymore? Right. Nobody really says that anymore. So how can we, in our right minds, hand off to the next generation a country where it's okay to refer to the press as the enemy of the people or refer to immigrants as rapists and criminals and that sort of thing? What are we doing to this country? And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is to sort of shoot a warning flare into the sky like, guys, we can't keep going on like this. And so as much as we want to give up on talking to our relatives, talking to our friends that we disagree with, my attitude is is that we've got to keep trying because, you know, this argument is too big, it's too important to give up on. Well, I think that's a great way to to wrap that up. I want to thank uh, Jim Acosta for being here. Thank you very much, guys. It's the Appreciate enemy it. of the people. Thank you so much, and good luck with the book. Thanks for being on Black on hey, the Air. Thank too. you, Larry. Thank you. Great talking. Really good.